Everyone is remembered for something, the impact we made on our community or each other. But some people leave a footprint that's as big as the Grand Canyon or the Atlantic Ocean. The first Black woman to attend law school in the U.S., the first female publisher in Canada, the first Black female publisher in North America. Oh, and she saved lives with the Underground Railroad. Her name was Marianne Shad Carey, and this is Unusual Women. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. We're so excited to have you for another week. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I am Michaela and this is... I'm Brogan. And this week we are going to be talking about Mary Ann Shad Carey. So Mary Ann was born in Wilmington, Delaware, and she was born in 1823. And she was the oldest of 13 children. It's a whole heck of a lot of kids. And her parents were uh, freed African-Americans. So her father was an inspiring man who was very active in politics and social justice for the Black community. Growing up in the Shad family provided refuge for many fugitive slaves or enslaved people. When it became illegal for Black children to go to school in Delaware, the family moved to Pennsylvania near Philadelphia. Mary was able to attend school there and followed her father into meetings in Philadelphia. So her father was a prominent member of the American Anti-Slavery Society and was the president of the National Convention for the Improvement of Free People of Color in Philadelphia. I love that she went to work with her dad. I also love that uh, they were in Delaware. The kids were getting an education. Delaware is like, no, now you can't. And they're like, all right, bye. And they just moved to Pennsylvania. They like, like, great, fine. We'll go to a better state. Bye. Again, I Pennsylvania pride over here that it was legal and then became illegal. I didn't realize that part. That was like a weird thing to think about that you were able to get an education and then they were like, nah, actually you're not allowed. Which is weird. Cause we always think of uh, a lot of these things as like always trajectory forward towards being more progressive. So the fact that, you know, these, this was the North. So, you know, people were freer, freer there. I'm not gonna say free, freer but- than obviously down in the South. Uh, and the fact that, you know, black children were able to get an education, then all of a sudden they're like, mm, yeah, now we're not going to mm. allow it. Um, it's like such a huge step back. Right. Uh, that you, you just don't really think about that. I always think of things yeah. as always like going towards being better. Right. Um, and that's something like, I think like looking into American history in particular, but also worldwide history is so interesting to see those things where you like find this tiny thing. You're like, wait, that doesn't make sense in my head as to why that would happen. But yes, the fact that they were like, all right, you're not gonna do it, we're gonna move somewhere else. So you can have these opportunities is like really strong of that family. Yeah. I also think it's great that they went towards Philadelphia because then also that led her father to being able to be part of these like really influential groups that were forming in Philly. Uh, Cause that was like the epicenter of, you know, social justice. <laughs> Right. Oh, right. Right. I never put that together. Like, so they moved to an area that was already more progressive where they were able to like, her father was able to make more of an impact uh, in the groups and like make organizations and help build these communities. It's actually, I, it's, you know, in its own way of yeah. blessing in disguise, I guess. Yeah. Oh. So the Shad family opened up a school for black children in smaller towns outside of Philadelphia. 
And that gave opportunities that otherwise would have been completely impossible to these kids. I love the fact they actually opened a school as well, specifically. They were like, yep. And it's a smaller town. So it's not like it's in a city. It's not like, as you said, like it's so much harder, like, especially if you're outside of a in school. The rural area. areas. Yeah. Yeah. And also it was nice because the, the family like really practice what they preach. They believe in education. They believe uh, in equality for all races. And they're like, great, we're going to open up a school in an area that does not have one. We're going to help bring up the community. Right. So Mary was very strong and a very vocal woman. And in 1848, Frederick Douglass asked his newspaper what the community can do to improve the lives of African-Americans. Mary wrote in and said, quote, we should do more and we should do more and talk less. Mary had already been to a lot of meetings and speeches throughout her life. And she was frustrated that all anyone could really do was talk instead of actually following through with an action. Right, which I think her family was already doing. Like they opened the school, they're, you know, building up a community. So, you know, he puts out this thing, what can we do better? She's like, great, we can, you know, shut our traps and start acting, let's go. Like she was ready for a revolution. Right. So everything changed for Mary and her family when the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was signed into effect. So basically what this bill was, it stated that if uh, a a slave escaped or was a freed slave found um, in the North even, they were forcibly brought back to their owner, which I hate that I'd say owner because no one owns anybody. But anyways, the abolitionists called this the bloodhound bill because it felt like they were being hunted. Uh, But this was a really, really scary bill because it didn't just mean if you were a fugitive yourself. I mean, even if you were just black and in the north and they mistook you for somebody else, you were, you know, beaten, taken and sent to the south. So it like was dangerous for literally everyone. Right. Well, and this is what people talk about when they talk about like the police were really this is kind of what the police really were. And realistically, it's like modern day, it's like back in the day ice, right? It's really what ice then became, like came from. Of they were like bounty hunters. Right. It's disgusting. It's horrible. The fact that they were just, yeah. Um, so the Mary- amount of people that were also mistaken as like, as other people, like just, oh, he kind of looks like that guy. Okay, I'll take him. Right. And there's absolutely, like, you're just teared away from like homes and just, yeah, that whole idea of being like returned like somewhere is just so ridiculous because wasn't, yeah. They're not animals. They're not stray animals. They're not like a dog you found on the street, you pick up and take to the pound and they have a chip and they bring it back to some family. It's That's not the case. These are people. Right. Right. It was a very horrific act anyway. Yeah. Um, Mary and her family moved to Canada right outside the border, but closest to Detroit. Um, and her father ran for office there and was elected to the council council of Raleigh Township in Ontario, and he was the first black elected in black person elected to office in Canada. So this is a family of firsts. We're just saying that now. She like this family like were out there like improving their lives and bringing people up with them. Um, it's so yeah. I really like the family dynamic because also this family started out in their their town together they moved to philadelphia together they worked together there they opened a school as a family like the whole family worked in the school and taught and now they're in canada where her father's running for office and obviously inspiring others it's so nice that they were such like a close-knit family 
And that's their family unit was so strong. And I love that. So Mary worked tirelessly to build up the freed black community in Canada. So those who were fleeing America, she would have a, they'd have like a safe place to go to and a community that was already built. So it's not like they're going to parts of Canada that are predominantly white where they're still gonna feel out of place. She was building and her family were building a black community that was established. So they'd have a place to go that felt like home. Uh, so basically she started up another school uh, where she was teaching the children during the day and adults during night, giving everybody a chance to an education. And at the time in Canada, public schools were allowed to bar black students. So it did happen. So they built a school that was specifically for the black community to again, educate and keep everybody, you know, advancing and progressing their lives. Uh, she wrote multiple pamphlets about the benefits of moving to Canada that she had sent back to America to convince people to move here, which I absolutely love because it, you know, reminds me of all the times Americans are like, I'm going to Canada, really go. Canada sounds great. <laughs> um. I also really love that fact that they she taught kids in the day and adults at night because I think we so focus on making sure like the next generation are great right and like have more opportunities but there's also like there are people like who are adults like having those opportunities themselves so within their lifetime it's not only waiting for the children's next part it's for them as well to make sure they have opportunities in the present um I love that so much that it was like a focused on like the community and like the whole unit versus only one aspect of it. Um, with the help of Absolutely. her brothers, um, she actually published a newspaper called the Provincial Freeman. Um, she knew that because she was a woman, the readership would be low. So she had her brothers publish her writing under their names. And she ran the newspaper, making her the first female publisher in Canada and the first Black female publisher in North America. Just as a continent. Yeah, just just like casually throwing out some more first right. there, which um, I absolutely love. Yeah, I uh, think it's ridiculous. The newspaper she... was really neat because... No, go again. Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. I was just thinking, like, I, one, I think is absolutely ridiculous that, like, she did have to publish under her brother's names, but I do really like that she made that choice because she was like, I know this is going to get more traction if it's got a male name. And so it's, like, using what you have, which I do really, I think is, like, really a good choice in that situation. Yeah, it was resourceful. And, I mean, I also like that she was very realistic, that she was like, you know what, this paper under my name, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail. Uh, so I'm going to put it under my brother and also a reverend was a part of it too. And he also published under his name, but like that gave credibility to the community, which I, I like that she was looking at from an end goal perspective right. that she still was writing the article. She was still making a difference, but she knew that the way to do it was to bridge the gap. Right. And the newspaper was opened up for like everyone to voice their opinions on how they could improve the lives of African-Americans throughout America's, um, and a quote from Mary about the paper was quoted, devoted to anti-slavery, temperance, and general literature. Like, I love that. It's like, uh, um, what's it called? Like, a, like, I guess we call it like an elevator pitch now, right? Where it's like, here's my, here's the whole thing in a sentence. And yeah, so after running the paper for like years, she finally swapped the author's names to her own and even publicly hired her sisters to work for her. Um, 
this was met with a lot of backlash and the paper ultimately had to end after four years due to financial hardships. But still, the fact that she was like, all right, we've been doing this for a little while now. We built some kind of like life. Let's now, we're going to actually reclaim this as me because I'm the one who did this and let's get my sisters onto this, right? And I think that's so good as well because that's also we've spoken about this before in previous episodes with the intersection of racism and sexism that like black women are often held below black men. And so even in the like hierarchy of what is society, they're lower and lower. And so the fact that she was like, no, I'm going to like put my name out there. I'm going to claim this as my own. And then I'm going to bring my sisters on. Like, that's just like, just so encompassing of like power to me. I also like, because like what I was saying before, this was such a family unit and like the brothers all worked on the paper and obviously they were the public like names of the paper, even though the sisters and Mary were obviously hugely involved as well, but they just had to be behind the scenes. And um, there was like a report that said her brother was really supportive about changing the name and like all of them were like, do it, do it. And, you know, granted it still was met with sexism, it still was a huge strive and it was a huge accomplishment to put her name on that and to put the sisters publicly on it. Um, and it was a first and I, that's, that's huge. Right. The end of her newspaper like did not stop Mary in the slightest. She continued to travel, uh, to different parts of Canada and help uh, people escaping America and like help get over the border and get everyone to safety. Um, which was extremely dangerous because these bounty hunters, as we said, who were, you know, hunting, people to bring them back uh you know if they found her she would be prosecuted and probably killed for her her actions uh but she was helping people through the underground railroad she was going across the border and helping people get over safely which was an incredibly brave thing to do because she was I mean safe in Canada but she was still putting herself out there to save others right and 1855, she did return to Philadelphia to speak at the Philadelphia Colored Convention, but women weren't even allowed to attend, let alone make a speech. So she spoke to a very hostile crowd who did not want to listen to women or her. According to Frederick Douglass's newspaper, she made a lot of good points, and once everyone really actually started to listen to her, They actually voted to let her keep talking and she was given an additional 10 minutes. So like we said, this is where you get this cross section where like sexism like spans a lot of things in society. And I think it's so ridiculous that like women weren't even allowed to speak. Or attend. They weren't even allowed to attend a meeting that was about their own lives. So like, how are you ever going to make a change if you can't even get into the room? Right. And I think that like, it's so... just the idea that they had they voted to let her keep talking like that's such an interesting like specificity in it right they were like hang on we're not even gonna listen like I can't even imagine being in that room you know what I mean I mean I can to an extent but also oh it had to have taken so much courage to get on that stage people were heckling her and like not wanting to listen and to get on that stage and be like no this is what we're gonna do to improve the lives of the black community in America and help people get to Canada and help people escape. So her whole speech at that was about uh, the idea of um, migrating to Canada, basically, where they can all start a better life outside of super racist America, um, where they can like build a stronger community that will be safer. And 
like as she went, they started finally listening and yet I had a vote and it just, uh, that took a lot of courage. Um, not that I, she had so much courage to begin with based on everything she did. So I'm not surprised, wow. but still, wow. So in 1860, Mary by this point was widowed and she moved uh, with her children back to the U.S. Uh, this was during the Civil War. And what she was doing was she was raising money and recruiting um, Black volunteers to fight for the North. Um, and then after the war, she went back to teaching. Uh, she moved back to her hometown in Delaware, uh, where she taught there. And then she moved to D.C., where she taught for 15 years in public school. I love that, that she went back to teaching, that that was like her thing. At age 60, because this is the theme with with Mary, uh, she made history again. Um, she attended law school. She was the first Black woman to attend. And by graduation, she was the second Black woman to have a law degree, um, which is, again, I, like, I, fa- I love the fact that she went back to school at the age of 60, got a, went to law school, got a law degree. Like, that's incredible. Oh, sorry. I just think it speaks volumes about her family, how they were so education-oriented. And then even when she was up in Canada and she was teaching, like we said, kids in the day and adults at night, like she definitely did value education throughout your entire life, not just in the younger, you know, your younger phases. The fact that she went back to, she went to law school at 60, that is so incredible. And she was the first, oh gosh, I can go on and on. Um, I love that. And also like we've, we said this in a previous episode as well. So if you've heard us talk about this, like the fact that you can make these changes throughout this life, like you're constantly in this state of like, you're growing and changing and making decisions. Like we need to normalize the idea of going back to school when you're older and being like, cool, I have this life. I've done all these things, but I want to learn something new or I want to do this achievement. Like the fact that she was like, no, I'm going to do it. Like, that's so incredible. In 1880, she went back to writing for newspapers and continued to fight for equality um, as she's been doing her entire life. She also went on to be onto the suffrage to be a suffragette and was the first African-American woman to vote in the national election within the U.S. Within the U.S. Uh, I had to clarify because she was in Canada for a little bit. So I wanted to clarify we were still within the United States. Very true. Very true. Uh, Yeah, I find that so incredible. So she went to law school at 60 and then she finished law school, went back to writing newspapers. So now we're, you know, more in like her mid 60s. Right. She's back to writing newspapers, became a suffragette, first black woman to vote in a national election. So Mary passed away of stomach cancer at the age of 69 in 1893. Uh, she was truly just a woman of so many firsts, her and her family. They just as a whole unit were so inspiring to the community, the amount of things that all of them did. I mean, from her father being the first elected uh, black man in Canada to her speaking at a convention that women weren't even allowed to go to, to going to law school, to publishing, to, to just everything that her and her family did were absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Um, I was really happy when I came across her name as like a potential person to do for this podcast because I just, she's done so many incredible things and like just the time period that she was alive in is such a um, heightened time, particularly for Black Americans and the history of Black Americans and so I thought it was so good to be able to like actually talk about all the amazing things that she did. And like you said, like her family and 
there was so many of them, you know what I mean? And they all did such incredible things. And the, yeah, the move from like Delaware to PA to Canada, back to the US, into DC, like all of those types of things. It's such a, like that's an ongoing life and to be doing it in a time where you've got like the civil war or the bloodhound bill and like realistically like actively being hunted not because you are an enslaved person but because you're black Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely yeah and i on this show we talk a lot about you know you know people in history and it's usually like a woman who did the first at something or had a huge achievement uh, and it was so fun to search Marianne because like it was first after first and achievement after achievement. I mean, literally she lived to the age of 69 and she has lived more lives than most people I've ever met. And that is incredible, especially like you said, for the time period. I mean, if even taking out the, the racial part, just looking at her as a woman, there's certain standards that, you know, she was flipping on its head and then from the racial standpoint the time that she lived in the hardships the the I I imagine just the overall fear and the paranoia of everything going around I mean between the civil war the the yeah the the fugitive slave act I mean all of these things weighing on you and yet to keep going and keep persevering and keep saving people right wow Right. And like, there's so many people within this time period, particularly when you're talking about freeing enslaved people and the Underground Railroad, railroad, um, and all that type of thing. Like you're talking about these people and so many of these people don't come out and say that they were a part of it um, because it wasn't safe at the time. And oftentimes like you just wanted to get people through, you wanted to be them safe. Like, um, and the fact that she, yeah, like she went to Canada and she, her and her family were like kind of safe potentially like Canada's got it all got its own history with right. it definitely wasn't great but it was safer than being on the other border like in America it was definitely safer but not safe um and the fact that yeah that she was still helping people across and that the education part like making sure that so many people were educated and having that as like a calling um I love that so much about her and she's definitely someone we should be learning more about right like if we hadn't been, if I hadn't, if I hadn't been actively searching for people, there's every chance I would never have come across this story and we wouldn't have had a chance to research her. We just never would have heard of her. And I think that's so hard. And that's what we often come across when we're doing a lot of these episodes, particularly of women in time periods where so much is happening and like there's so much forward momentum, but also like horrible things are all happening at the same time that we often like are overlooking so many important people and people whose achievements we stand on the shoulders of. Um, Yeah. Also, can we just talk about the fact that I just realized this in my head, but like she was the first African-American woman to vote in a national election, but like this is before women had the right to vote. She voted in a national election that wasn't necessarily like the presidential election. What it was is she was advocating for both the 14th and 15th amendment within the house judiciary committee and voted being the first American woman um so even though she did like super go for the so the 14th amendment for those who don't know defined citizenship um and then the 15th amendment allowed African American or black men to vote but she was very critical of the fact that it did not allow 
women to vote. But she was a part of the National Women's Suffrage Association working alongside Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Just to add more facts and more incredible things that she did to the end of this episode. Yeah, I was going to say, she was hanging out with Susan B. Anthony. So you know what? Thank you so much for listening to this incredible episode. And we encourage you to honestly go in and do your own research about Marianne Shad Carey because there's so much more to her than what we were able to fit into this episode. Um, Like even in talking about her, we discovered more and more things. And so we highly encourage you going through. If there's anything we missed that you think we should absolutely talk about, please put a comment or send us a message. We would love to hear from you. And we are always looking to find out more about people. So thank you again for listening. If you really love us, subscribe to our Patreon. But either way, we appreciate all of the support. Thank you again so much. Have a great day, guys. See you later.